Open your Bibles if you would, or just get them out and get them ready. Don't open them yet, I guess. This was probably, um, I don't know, six months or so ago. I was, I was doing some things, some work on the car. I was vacuuming it. I, I don't do any work on the car. I'm vacuuming or something. And, um, and I, had, I had Vicky's keys with me. And I, you know, I had my pocket, and I, I don't. My mind was going elsewhere. I'm, I'm, I'm vacuuming, and, and and for some some reason, I must have set them down somewhere. And I never did find them. It, it was it's the strangest. You know, you're thinking of this is not a joke. The punchline's not coming. I never did find them. I never did find them. Have you ever done that? For the life of me, I do not know what I did with those stupid keys. And it's been probably, I don't know, six months or so. Um, but I guess I could afford to lose those because we just went and made, you know, copies. And um, I, I, to this day, I, it just drives me crazy to think of, of what, I, what I possibly could have done with those if I didn't find it. And, and ironically, I was thinking of that when I was thinking this, this week and praying about what I want to do this morning is... is there are a lot of things that we can afford to lose, um, but there are some things that that we cannot afford to lose. Uh, and and today uh, we're going to look at a topic that we cannot afford to lose. As Christians, we we cannot afford to lose um, this very important topic. La- last week, anybody know what we we talked about last week? Remember what we talked about last week? What was the what would you say the ba- ba- main idea was? <laughs> Jesus. It's our Texas Tech grad. No, seriously, he knows what the professor's looking for. <laughs> Don't be afraid. We, 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 as Christians, we can't live our lives in fear, especially fear of death. With all the great promises that he's given us, we, we cannot, we should not live our lives in fear. So I thought, I started thinking, well, which, which, how should we live our lives? How should we then live? Uh, and I, and I kind of combined that with what we can't afford to lose and how should we live. And I came up with Hebrews 10, verse 23. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. By the way, we, we cannot afford to lose Jesus, Jordy, so you were right, um, for the record. Hebrews 10.23, the author of Hebrews penned these words under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us hold fast. Let's not lose. Let's make sure we can't afford to lose the confession of our hope. Confession of our hope. Hope is something that we cannot afford to lose as Christians. The question in in this text is, what does the phrase confession of our hope mean? I take it to mean... The confession about our hope, uh, the, the hope which in which we have placed our confidence, and he says to do so without wavering, which means that 
there's a danger that we can waver in our hope. We see this with in Romans 4. Paul was talking about Abraham. He said, in hope against hope, he believed God's promises. He did not waver in unbelief. He, he didn't waver in his belief, his faith, his hope, but believed that God would be true to his promises. Our world uses the hope in, in, in a way that has a, a certain degree of uncertainty. Not a certain degree, but it's uncertainty. When we say, I hope, or in contemporary English, we use the word hope from the standpoint of, uh, of uncertainty. It, it's a wish. It's a desire. Uh, and so we have to be careful that we don't import um, contemporary definitions onto the Scripture. Biblical hope is not uncertainty. It's not mere wish. It's not mere desire. But in fact, we see that it is a present confidence, a, a, a present confidence in the future based on God's faithfulness. Let us hold fast now our confession of hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So biblical hope has... has um, present confidence in, in the faithfulness of God to fulfill all of his promises to his people, both now and in the future. The fact of the matter is we live in a world that is hopeless, not hopeless, hopeless. There's a difference. First, uh, turn to First Thessalonians, and, and again, because we're, today is more topical, um, we're going to be looking um, at a lot of different verses, so bear with me. And it's worth it to turn there to to read it with your own eyes. First Thessalonians 4:13. We've all heard these texts most of the time at at memorial services. The church in, in Thessalonica was concerned that the day of the Lord had already come, and what about our loved ones? Are they, will they miss out? Did they miss out uh, on? on um, the resurrection. And, uh, and Paul uh, assures them that not only do they not miss out, but they will precede us, who, who, anyone who, who is living. And in verse 13, 1 Thessalonians 4.13, he says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who are asleep. This was a, a metaphor for death. Those who, have followed, those who have died. I don't want you to be uninformed, brethren, about those who have died that you may not grieve as do the rest who have no hope. Who are the rest? Those who don't know Christ. It, it, it is, in fact, this verse, as a side note, that I tell everyone, the best gift you can give to your loved ones is that when they come to your memorial service, they don't have to wonder where you are. He says, we grieve, but we don't grieve as the rest who have no hope. Uh, turn back to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, 
and strangers to the covenants of promise. Here it is. Having no hope. And without God in the world. Anyone who does not know Jesus Christ as personal Savior and Lord has no hope. In, in many different ways. This world is hopeless. They are without hope. Any hope that they may have would be a false hope. It would be unreliable. Um, but for us as believers, the one thing we cannot afford to lose is our hope. Hope is a prominent theme uh, in the Scriptures for God's people. So what I want us to do this morning is I want us to look at hope. I want us to look at the, at, primarily at the source of hope. From whence cometh our hope? Um, for those of you that have King James... 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, we, we read one source of this hope. 2 Thessalonians. Chapter 2. We'll begin in verse 13. But we should always give thanks to God for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God has chosen you from the beginning for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and faith in the truth. By the way, for those of you on our Wednesday night study, you see a lot of prepositions there. It will be very, very important. Verse 14, And it was for this He called you through our gospel that you may gain the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ so then, brethren, stand firm and hold to the, to the traditions which you were taught, whether by word of mouth or, or by letter from us. Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope, by what? By grace. From whence cometh our hope? By grace. What's grace? We, we, we sang about it all morning. Um, we, we read on several occasions, we, we read uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith. What is grace? Have you thought about it? What is grace? Uh, you know, we have a lot of definitions. Unmerited favor. Um, but, but what is it really? What? when we think that I've been saved by grace, was it just a, was it just a legal, uh, it's just a legal term or something else going on there? Here, I think there's something else going on than just what we, when we think in terms of, of, of saving by grace. We, we, we think of by grace, we think of spiritual enablement. When you think of grace, think of spiritual enablement. How did he save us by grace? He enabled us. Spiritually, he enabled us to see the truth of the gospel and to believe. That's grace. Grace is this mysterious, supernatural work between 
God and my spirit in which he brings capabilities, he brings enablement, he brings capacities that were not there. That now I'm able to, to, to see and to access and to act upon. Think of grace as God's delivery system. <laughs> that, that, that it is something that he extends to us that in some mysterious way interacts with who I am, my spirit, my soul, my immaterial being, enabling me to see truth. Enable, enable me to see, the Paul says, the glorious light of the gospel. What, what prompted that? It wasn't me, trust me. I, I, when I got saved, it wasn't, you know, I, I've, I've considered Buddhism and Hinduism and, you know... Uh, well, you name all the isms. You know, Christianity seems to be my best bet. So I think I'll believe that. No, there was a maybe there, there was this 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 powerful witness. that this is truth. What was that? That was grace. So when we look at Second Thessalonians, we say that he has. Given us hope by grace, I take that to mean that just like the grace he extended to save me, the grace he gives me to experience hope, this un, 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 mysterious enablement or capacity to hope, to believe in God's promises, to, to believe that God will be faithful, that, that that is by God's grace. Now, I understand that, that the mind is involved as well. The truth is involved as well. Instruction, and we're going to look at this in a minute, instruction is involved. I mean, reading God's word, but the mechanism by which hope is, is, is born into my soul is a supernatural work of God through his grace. So someone may say, well, I'm not experiencing hope. So am I not, am, am I not getting God's grace? No, I, I, would, I would respond this way. Just as we can frustrate the, the Holy Spirit and God's grace at times in our lives, so too, when we allow um, fear and doubt, remember this is, the, this is the opposite of what we talked about last week, when we allow fear and doubt and uncertainty to quench God's gracious work in our lives, we will lose that hope. But be assured that our hope, according to 2 Thessalonians 2.13, he has loved us and given us eternal comfort and he has given us good hope by grace. Hope comes from grace. It's not something that I have to conjure up. It is something that God graciously gives me. Second source, turn if you would to Romans chapter 15. Romans 15, verse 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope. By what? By the power of the Holy Spirit. Couple things. First of all, he appeals to God as the God of hope. What does that mean? 
It's a genitive. What does it mean? Uh, I take this to mean a genitive of source. The God who gives hope. The God who grants hope. And we just saw that in 2 Thessalonians. That, that is by, by His grace. He is the God of hope. He's the God who gives us hope. The God of all hope. Fill you with joy and peace in believing. In order that. The purpose. That you may abound in hope. By the power of the Holy Spirit. Hope is generated in our lives and in our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Again, this, is, this would probably be virtually synonymous probably with the grace of God. That may be basically the same thing, stating it two different ways. Grace is, is, is what He extends to us and, and the Holy Spirit, the power of the Holy Spirit is what operates it or, or um, ignites it. In our heart. The power of the Holy Spirit. And, and this goes back really to the importance of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Um, I, I, there, there, was a, there was a book, I think it was the title of a book one time I read, the, the Forgotten Person of the Trinity. Now, there are some churches that forget about Jesus and the Father. They forget about the Son and the Father. It's all about the Holy Spirit. But I fear that in, in our churches, we rarely talk about the Holy Spirit, it seems I. I'm guilty of that, probably. The Holy Spirit is not a force. The Holy Spirit is not a ghost. Even though King James says Holy Ghost, it's not ghost, it's spirit. He is a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. We are triune in our doctrine. And that's what the Bible teaches, that there is one God in essence, fully existent in three separate persons. Father is God, the Son is God, and the Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is a person. So when we talk about being filled with the Holy Spirit, we're not talking about, you know, there's a zipper in our back and the Holy Spirit, you know, gets in us. We've talked about filled means ultimate influence, maximum influence. A long time ago, my dad had a sailboat. And we'd go up to Dillon. He had it stored. It. Stored? What do you call it? Birthed? That's a big boat. We didn't birth it. Uh, we stored it. Uh, and I remember we got out in the middle uh, of the lake, and there was, this, I guess, a perfect wind. And he, he put this, I don't know, sail up. And he turned it at just the right angle. And, man, that wind hit that sail. Every inch of that sail was being pushed by wind. And what, what do we say? We, we say the wind filled the sail. It didn't go inside the sail. It exerted, it was exerting maximum influence and, and maximum pressure. Our hope is fueled by this power of the Holy Spirit as we are filled with God's Spirit, with the Holy Spirit. Um, we will experience hope. The question is, how do I... How do I how am I filled with the Spirit? Ephesians 5.18. Do not get drunk with wine. By the way, that, that, that is not limited just to wine, Larry. Um, <laughs> it, 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 means, it means don't be under the influence of anything other than the Holy Spirit. Do not be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. The, the, the contrast there is saying, don't let anything control you and influence you other than the Holy Spirit. 
How do we do that? When I was in Camp State for Christ, they had what we called spiritual breathing. And it's the best explanation I've ever heard, quite frankly. If you have another one, I I'm, 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 would love to hear it. They call it spiritual breathing. Here's what they taught us. They said, uh, you exhale by confession of sin. We've talked about confession. You, that, that through uh, To be filled with the Spirit. I can't be filled with the Spirit if I have unconfessed sin in my life. So I, I'm filled with the Spirit by confessing known sin. And then I inhale. Yeah, we do inhale. We inhale by asking Him to fill us again with His Spirit. It's a, to me, it's as simple as saying, God, I want you to fill me with your spirit. I want, you, I want you to control my life. I want you to control every aspect of my life. I want you to control my thoughts, my words, my actions. And then by faith, we believe he's doing it. We can't wait. Being filled with the spirit does not necessarily mean you're going to get some heebie-jeebies and, and goosebumps or hear heavenly choirs. It's not about our feelings. It's about the control that we give to the Holy Spirit in our lives. And the only way I know to do that is to voice that and say, Oh God, fill me with the Holy Spirit. It's not verified by feelings. Don't say, Well, I didn't feel anything, uh, so it must not have worked. It's not about feelings. It's about faith in God's Word. Can you imagine someone going to God the Father and saying, Oh, Father, I pray that you'd fill me with your Spirit. Him going, Nah, not today. The source of our hope, of our confident, our present confidence in the future based on God's faithfulness, based on God's promises, comes by grace comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And number three, Romans 15.4. You don't even have to turn your page probably. Romans 15.4. For whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction. Let's stop there for a moment. As an aside, what is he referring to when he says whatever was written in earlier times was written for our instruction? We call that the Old Testament. The Old Testament was written for what? For our instruction. <laughs> but now it certainly would include the New Testament, what we call the New Testament. Whatever is written in earlier times is written for instruction that through perseverance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Biblical hope is not, is not saying, well, whatever's going to happen is going to happen. I'm, there's going to happen, it's going to happen. Say, you know, case or off. Biblical hope is not positive thinking. It's not Anthony Robbins. It's not saying, well, you know, this too shall pass. That's not biblical hope. Biblical hope comes from the encouragement that we get from the scriptures. You see, the, the Bible possesses a power to do something. When I say that, I always have to feel, I always have to give disclaimers, it seems. I understand that the, the Bible can be misused. Uh, I think I was talking to Tim about this one time. You know, I, I'm not saying that if someone is struggling, they've lost their hope, and they're depressed, or they're discouraged, and they're hopeless, I give them a verse and send them on their way. They can, they'll, that fix them. 
we look at another encouragement for two. On the other hand, what will I, what should I give them? What should I give them to bring them hope? If I don't give them a verse, if I don't give them scripture, what, what should I say to them? What should I give them? I mean, think about it for a minute. Buck up. It'll get better. Uh, should I give them a quote from W.C. Fields? That would help. <laughs> Temporarily. No, but think about it, guys. I'm not, on the one hand, I'm not saying that, that this is not a magic talisman where I give them a verse and, oh, I read this verse, now I'm fixed. But on the other hand, what else are we going to give them? What else are you going to go to for hope? The, the, the Bible has, on the one hand, it's not a magic rabbit's foot. On the other hand, it does have this animating power, the, the, this, this innate life-giving power. In fact, this was one of the very things in terms of the formation of the canon of the Scripture is when, the, when, the, when God's people read these, read these words as opposed to the Gospel of Thomas or the Gospel of Peter, these, these other Gnostic Gospels that didn't come until much later, by the way, in the next century. There was, when they read the Scriptures, there was, a, there was an internal witness, an animating force, an animating influence that the Scriptures had on their heart. I mean, we... We, we all know Hebrews 4.12. For the word of God is what? Living and active. What does that mean? It's living. It means it has a life-giving power to it. This book is different. Now, not every aspect of this is going to maybe, in, uh, right at that moment, <laughs> strike you in any specific way. Obviously, if you're reading Leviticus, it may not be the same as if you were reading another book. But he says, through the perseverance and encouragement that we get from the Scriptures, it produces hope in our lives. Turn, if you would, to Psalm chapter 1. This is really, I think Psalm 1 gives us a, a kind of a two-stage process in this. How we do this. How does this work? Psalm chapter 1. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. The first stage of this process of, of, of getting through in perseverance, encouragement of the Scriptures, producing hope in our lives, is to expel competing voices. We, we have a lot of competing claims to truth, a lot of competing claims to what's right, a lot of competing voices of what works. And the first step is to expel those competing voices, those who do not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor stand in the path of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. It, many times, Christians leave lead hopeless lives because they're listening to the wrong voice. They're listening to the wrong voices. 
they are not gaining their hope and their encouragement, the perseverance from the scriptures. So stage one is really to to evaluate who am I listening to or what am I listening to. The second stage is found in verse two. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and in his law he meditates day and night. He does not meditate day and night on the latest book that's been published. It is through reading the promises in his word that that the power of the Holy Spirit and God's grace uses to bring hope. It is through the examples that I see in Scripture. Maybe not direct teaching, but examples of God's faithfulness in the Scripture. So we, we, we talk a lot about David, how faithful God was to David. Say, well, he won't be faithful to me. Why? Why, why? why did he tell us? Why did he tell us about his faithfulness to David? So we could go, wow, that, I wish I could have been David. It, it was for our instruction. It was so that it was an example that so that through perseverance and encouragement of the scriptures, I might have hope. Do you, do you think that God loved King David more than he loves you? Don't answer that question. If you were to give King David a grade as a king, as a, as a man, what would you give him? I don't know, B minus, maybe? Well, you're a teacher, Danny. What would you give King David? No curve. He was not perfect. Maybe B minus, maybe C. He gave us these examples so that we might have hope. He gave us truth. He speaks truth to us. Our hope is not found in falsehoods. It's in truth. Where do we find truth? We find truth in the Scriptures. We have hope. We have confident. We have a present confidence in the future based on God's faithfulness, based on God's personhood, by, by grace, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through the encouragement and perseverance that we get through the Scriptures. And someone might say at this point, yeah, but that's for, that's for eternal life. That's my hope is that one day... I'll be in Jesus in heaven. And that's, that's, that's Christian hope. That's it. That's certainly part of it. No doubt about it. That's a big part of it. And no matter how bad it gets here, I know that I'll be with Jesus. But I, I turn, turn if you would, if this is interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that I came across... And I, I just encourage you this week to, to, to meditate on this verse and think about this verse a little bit. 1 Corinthians 15. Verse 19. And, and let's, let's, let's work through this sentence structure. 
if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. Now, what is he trying to say? He's really trying to say that we have a eternal hope. But in a backhanded way, what has he said to us? We have hope in this life. Our hope, our, the confession of our hope is not just that someday we'll be in heaven with Jesus. There, in other words, there is some kind of hope that we have in this life. You see, see, see that? If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, meaning we have hoped in Christ in this life, One last thing is our hope is not meant to be merely internal. First Peter chapter three. I think that maybe I haven't, I haven't thought through this. I'm just going to say it. I think it, it, true biblical hope will be manifested in our lives. 1 Peter 3.15 But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense, an argument, an explanation to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that you have. Now, why would someone ask you to give an explanation for the hope you have if they don't see your hope? If my hope is not being manifested in some way, why would they ever ask me about my hope? So I had to ask myself, in what ways does my life give testimony to my hope in Christ? Well, the first thing that comes to mind is when I, when I experience adversity. Um, certainly, if we experience persecution, my goodness, just read Voice of the Martyrs and the hope. Um, Charlene gave me a book. Uh, oh, you didn't give it to me. You gave it to me to read. Can I keep it? Put you on the spot, didn't I? Oh, thank you. Because uh, I've been reading it. I, I usually mark it. I haven't marked it because I didn't. I, okay. Oh, my goodness. The hope that these people have when they have nothing... And they're and they're being persecuted. It, it, I, it, 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 I can't understand it. What does that come from? What, what generates that kind of hope? What you see that hope, and that prompts me to say, please tell me where that hope comes from. Maybe your hope is manifested when you lose your job. And, 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 and because of your hope in Christ, you don't respond the same way someone else does who loses their job. But First Peter 3.15 makes it clear that there's some kind of manifestation of your hope that prompts people to ask you about it. Finally, and this is this is not uh, this is not original with me. I don't know. It may have. Been, uh, I, I think I read it from John Piper, but I think he got it from Richard Sibbs, who was a, a Puritan pastor. What what if I what if I've lost my hope? What do I do? 
If, if I, this morning, say, I ha- I, I, I'm hopeless. Not hopeless. I'm hopeless. I, I, I've lost my hope. L- l- let me suggest that you read Psalm 42. Uh, in Psalm 42, you see that the psalmist preaches to himself. In other words, when you think of your inner life, when you think of your inner thought life, we speak to ourselves, you know, in our in our minds, in our brains. We, we speak things to ourselves. We, when we our thoughts. And and what I have found is that sometimes we are very undisciplined in our thought life, in what we are saying to ourselves, and how we speak to ourselves. And I don't know why I'm doing this. Uh, <laughs> here, listen. I I I. I often, when I'm when I get depressed, I, I do get depressed. When I get discouraged, I do get discouraged. When I get fearful, I do I do experience fear. Um, I have to say, wh- what am I saying to myself? Uh, it'll never get better. I most of you know that I grew up. My 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 wiring my my is I'm the when's the other shoe gonna drop? Um, I'm the guy that says, yeah, it's sunny, but boy, I think I see a storm coming. Uh, I've had to work hard at that. I've had to work hard at disciplining my thought life and what I'm speaking to myself and what I, who I'm listening to. And when I lose hope, I have to return to the Scriptures and I have to return to the faithfulness of God and I have to make a choice of who I listen to and I preach to myself, why are you so downcast on my soul? Put your hope in God. Sometimes you're going to fail and you're going to give in to the negative voices that say, you know, you're doomed. You'll never get another job. You're not going to make that payment. You're not. But as we realize that hope comes through the grace of God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, through God's word, through the promises that we read there, through the examples that he gives us, through the truth that is preached there, we preach those things to ourselves and we make a choice of who we're going to listen to. We do not stand in the way of sinners, but we meditate on God's law day and night. We listen to him say to us, you have every reason to have hope. Not just in that life, but in this life too. Let's pray. Father,